Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Dave Ninimitz. It's Dave Ninimitz. All right, welcome into the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Growling, Paul Daner Jr. and Dave Ninimitz of The Athletic. Excited to be with you on the official second day of the offseason, even though offseason mode has been... We're deep. We're deep into off-season mode. We're actually into the off-season mode lull. We're so deep into it. But I know Chiefs and Niners folks have just finally joined the fun as we're here into off-season <laughs> February. Are you are you happy to be done with Super Bowl pre-game hype and post-game hype? All uh, you, no. I, I like it when there's a game still. I like it when we're still yeah. talking about games. And now we're going to get into nothing but, uh, you know – agent drops and teams thinking that they mm. need to keep every secret like secret like Fort Knox and and of course it's I mean we're deep into mock draft yelling at each other on the internet yeah. about evaluations of the tape season and free I I, I I'm here um, like I this is what it is and, and I'm all about it like I'm I'm here to do it um but games games tend to be a little bit more fun at least have a <laughs> so, good an end game a feeling of resolution whereas so you, this the rest of it just goes on and on so you feel like a, a half hour we'll be talking about arm length and hand size won't be as exciting as recapping a game no. i mean <laughs> it's only a matter of time until our hands are like up against the zoom here i think i'm not yeah no i don't the first, there really should be an over under the combine, which is in two weeks. So keep an eye out for that. We'll, of course, have you covered there at the combine in a couple of weeks. But um, there should be an over under on the first time of first hand size question mm. at the combine. If we can get that on record, I think 9 34 a.m. day one <laughs> is probably my guess. Whenever the quarterbacks roll through or the coaches really, I mean, it, there's, there's plenty of opportunities for it, but what did yeah. that, that's where we go. That's where we go. Cause it's part of it. And, um, and, 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 and on it goes that said, speaking of on, it goes, um, we have a, the, a four part series on the T Higgins Bengals crossroads is, uh, has started put part one is up now with kind of a, a dive into the ramifications of, of each prong of where it could go. Uh, I've spent a lot of time on this. You've heard me talking through this a lot here on the podcast the last few weeks, but kind of all of it into one place with all the background, the numbers, the people that I've kind of talked to in the process, uh, all laying out for you over the course of this week. Look, it's the biggest decision uh, for the Bengals, even though we know – kind of what it's going to be. Uh, I mean, we, we, we fully at all expectations are the franchise tag is going to be placed on T Higgins, but 
there's so much more to it than that. Is that the right decision? Things they could do after that, the Jamar Chase factor, all of it is something that it needs to all be laid out. So here it is laid out for everybody starting part one today. So make sure you go check that out. I think it's a good uh, it's a good time to roll out the uh, choose your own adventure off season as well after you read this because you have to <laughs> then you have to really consider when you're just doing your pull down on T Higgins which way you want to go with it. Um, I know one thing that got me thinking while I was reading the first part is the whole tag and trade notion. I think is really good in theory, but there's there's so many variables on that that the stars have to align that. It's so much easier said than done. And you you drop examples of when it's actually been done and it's pretty rare. Like it, yes. you don't really see that line up very often that a team can pull that off and get what they want and the player's happy where he's going. Yeah. People uh, like to bring up um, A.J. Brown in tag and trade, but he wasn't. A.J. Yeah. Brown was on his rookie deal, which makes it easier because then you can sit there on draft day. And be like, just holding on to A.J. Brown. He's unhappy and you make a trade. The problem is that tag, that money, the mo- the moment they sign it, that is on your books. Now, the Bengals don't yeah. have to worry about that as much because they, they have a, a lot of cap space. But it's on your books. And then the player doesn't have to sign it. Uh, right. And so he basically has a no trade clause to anywhere. So it limits where you could go, where they're willing to go. And they have to find agreement on the long-term extension they want with that team or else they're not going to sign it either because that's the whole point of leaving that's why it doesn't happen very often we've seen it a few times you know Devontae Adams is is the last one who was just kind of fed up and they couldn't get a deal done in Green Bay and you also want to have that done before you get into free agency so you know how to go forward and use that money into what you're going to do so your timing is tight all of all that stuff is is certainly part of it. And the, the window to place the tag starts um, February twentieth, and it goes through March fifth. I, I do. I don't suspect the Bengals to do this, but it was kind of interestingly put to me that you know there could be a statement made in an early tag because usually it always goes down to the final hour. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's like right at the top of the window. Bengals say, "Nope, not even screwing with this." We know we're not going to get a deal with you. We've tried this before. It's not happening. So we're just going to tag you now and send a statement to the rest of the league. And, hey, if you want to, if you want offers, the yeah. tag is on. So if that's what you want to do, and it gives you more time to maybe work through those if that was something you wanted to do. I do not suspect that to happen. That's very slim. But it is kind of an interesting thought as the front of the window, uh, something there. But anyway, all that stuff is in there now. We kind of dive into – um, laying setting the table a little bit in part one, so we can really kind of go more analytical in parts two and three and four. And so tomorrow we'll get into the injury history thing that we talked through with Mo last week, um, and uh, something I brought up way earlier in the off season, and that was like just how dynamic Chase Higgins and Burrow were this past year. I don't think people realize. I know I didn't until I actually ran through these numbers the first time. Um, how dominant they were in the very small sample size they were out there and how it was kind of uh, the dream that they wanted it to be. Um, All that's going to be there this week. Of course, I'll go down my own. Here's what I would do. And you guys, I don't know. Do people, I guess people care what I, what I think about that. I try to (laughs) try to be more like, here's what I think they're going to do and try to be more informative and less like, well, if I were to GM, and I had drank a couple of malt liquors. You know what I mean? Like, what would I do? 
<laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Like I like I like the idea of there being like my drunken choice, my sober choice, <laughs> my conservative choice, my I'm oh, screw it. Like I just got nothing. I think the world's gonna end choice. Like I just feel like there's a lot of different <laughs> what mood you're in probably depends on what you want to do because there's so many options. Well, you'll have to channel in your Bengals choice based off what they what how they've operated and yes that, that's going to be a lot different than some of those other modes of paul choices yes and which is how we why we basically started the entire four-part series but <laughs> yeah i know i'm gonna go on for four parts here but let's start with this this is probably gonna be it's just it's gonna be a franchise tag. like that's where yeah. this is gonna be because because of all the things that we're about to lay out all right uh so that's that the other thing uh friday had a story up um on new Passing game coordinator Justin Riscotti. Um, and they also have moves. Brad Cragthorpe officially moves into the quarterback coach position, something we kind of signaled. Um, and so you get uh Dan Pitcher as offensive coordinator, Justin Riscotti underneath him as passing game coordinator with Frank Pollock on the other side, run game coordinator, offensive line, Cragthorpe now as quarterbacks coach they they've added a, an offensive analyst it looks like freddie knighton has moved into assistant quarterbacks um so you've kind of got a reallocation but and and jordan kovacs now the safeties coach with robert livingston moving on to colorado movement there i'll get to that in a second i want to start on the riscotti side uh, a, a name that not a lot of people had even heard of or thought of and you know we we talked about this, David. This was the first time that the Bengals and Zach under Zach Taylor were going to be replacing a coordinator. And mm-hmm. the league has changed in five years. The dynamics of what they were doing, because Callahan and Taylor were so mind-melded, you know, of, of yeah. they, they don't need an extra body. They, they were just, they were doing it all together. Now it was an opportunity to kind of get in line with maybe some things the other, the rest of the league does in adding this extra position um, as, as a way to have more people in the room and, and shape different things. And, and Riscotti is, is a really interesting hire because of himself but I think also just the fact that they were willing to go add this position and, and kind of add another layer um, into the whole staff. Yeah, and in and, and the story you did, Zach Taylor kind of talks about having that new perspective in there. You know, like we've lauded that the last few years of having that continuity with coaching, but it sounded like Zach is cool with a different perspective come in and, and he references that Riscotti brings in these ideas from the Vikings that remind Taylor of things they did back with the Rams because you got the whole McVay coaching tree coming out of that. And that's, it's interesting that he's kind of welcoming, not that, not that he would have a problem with that, but it's been status quo for better or worse for, for so many years now that this is interesting to throw a new guy in that brings a, a different look to things. It's a great point. And I feel like this is the perfect compromise and solution really to something that Mo and I dove into a couple of weeks ago. And that was get fresh. Like, don't be afraid to freshen things up. And that's something that, that Zach Taylor has wanted to do has mm-hmm. has say, look, this can't feel stale. This has to feel inventive um, and, and, and continue to try to build the next level and not have everybody in the building because of the continuity you have on your in your personnel with your quarterback and your so many of your top players and just 
so much of your same staff feel like they're just going through it again and going through the motions, create newness, eliminate stale. And somebody like Riscotti who can come in and bring those new ideas to freshen things up. I, I do think very much hits the nail on the head for what they're talking about there. You have, you have people in new positions that are going to have a chance to challenge themselves and grow themselves. Those relationships with Zach Taylor are going to grow things too. And now bring in somebody from the outside to kind of question the way everybody's thinking in the first place. And that's great. Um, I want to bring in, I have audio from my, a couple answers from my conversations that I had with Justin Riscotti and also with Dan Pitcher um, in with Riscotti talking about his background on the offensive line. He comes, he was quarterback uh, back in the day, James Madison. He was kind of a quarterback passing game guy until he had a chance to elevate to the NFL through the offensive line room. And he ended up in Mike Munchak's offensive line room in Denver. Can't ask yeah. for a much better place to land than that. And spent a couple of years there and got, he ended up taking over doing some help with quarterbacks with Teddy Bridgewater for a year before that whole staff got blown up the Vic Fangio staff in Denver and his, the assistant offensive line in Denver moved over to Minnesota and got the head job there and said, come with me. Loving Justin Riscotti and working with him went there for a couple of years, did the same thing there with Minnesota the last two years. And now all of a sudden has a chance to get back into the passing game world and was really kind of sought over that way. But I, I asked him kind of about that path, and his answer was really interesting. And then after that, kind of, a, he, you're going to hear Dan Pitcher answering um, about the position of pa passing game coordinator, having that for the first time in his view of kind of the flexibility of what that brings and what Justin brings. So here's Justin Riscotti followed by Dan Pitcher. Your path is so interesting with, you know, you kind of having to dip into the offensive line waters besides being you know kind of your background in quarterback play how, how did that you know what was your view of that when you're like when that was the path you ended up having to take and and how did that kind of help you in general with an under a better understanding of you know the the passing game and quarterback play well you, you know I played quarterback so uh quarterback you know play has always been uh, I guess in my heart right and so when i you know, uh, got done playing and got into coaching. Um, you know, I'd always been quarterbacks, receivers um, in the past world, past game world, and um, eventually moved moved into a coordinator role in college. And um, so again, I've always had a passion for quarterback play in the passing game, obviously. But um, you know, I had a chance to to get in the NFL in 2019, and the way to get in was was to uh to be in the o-line room and so uh, at that point in my career i was just excited to get an opportunity to, to get in the nfl so i was willing to do whatever um after my first year doing that i said i wish i'd, I'd done it 10 years ago just because you know as quarterback guys sometimes don't always see it through the eyes of the offensive line you know and and uh understand what they're they're going through and their challenges and and all that so um, it was awesome for me to to work with those guys for two years in Denver, um, and was really blessed to 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 work with Mike Munchak and Chris Cooper. I mean, Munch is a Hall of Fame player, a former NFL head coach, um, one of the best people I've ever been around. So for a young coach to to 
to go into that situation, to be able to be around good people and to be able to learn and grow um, and really get out of my comfort zone, you know, um, mm-hmm. was, was huge for me. Um, so I did that two years. Then I went back to quarterbacks uh, my third year in Denver. And then the last two, <clears throat> the last two was what was back to the offensive line, assistant line in Minnesota. So, um, you know, I really enjoyed being with those guys up front, you know, and, um, uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, there was a lot for me to learn years ago and just, you know, it was, it was a great experience to work with those guys and understand what they go through and, um, ways to help them, whether it's in the run game or in the protection world, um, it's, it's huge for my careers. How did you view the idea of the passing game coordinator here? Was it an open book or does it feel like it's more of a, just kind of more of a, um, I don't know, taking some of what's on your plate and, and distributing it a little bit? I think it's, it's a little bit of all that. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, there's, I don't know how many of these guys exist throughout the league. You know, that's probably a, a quick, a quick study, but I would venture to guess that the, uh, the exact responsibilities and duties are probably different in just about every single building. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it, it's, it's, it's a spot that you know, really just allows us to add one more guy with a, with a, with a great skill set, with a, with the, you know, a fresh perspective, um, you know, coming from a place that is, you know, they do a lot of things that are very similar to us, but they, but they do some different stuff too, but they speak a similar language. So he'll be able to integrate quickly. Um, he'll be able to offer some fresh ideas and then, you know, we'll be fluid with regard to, you know, where he best fits us and how he's going to help us win football games. But, uh, he's going to be a great asset. It's gotta be a fun, a fun thing to sit there and, and, Say okay, we got we got another person here, and and you guys have all been together. I mean, you and Zach and Brad like have all kind of been doing this, and you, they hey they know all the conversations that have just one, even just one voice that comes from the okay. outside can probably I'd imagine help freshen up every conversation that you guys have. Absolutely, I yeah. think it's very valuable. You know, even even some something as simple as a, a smart person. Asking what may feel like an innocuous question, you know, it, it it forces you to have to frame the answer in a way that maybe jogs for you a little bit of like, okay, hey, maybe maybe we should call this something a little different. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it just it that whole process I think is healthy. I mean that's it's what we're going through. It's what we're going to do right now. We're going to take a hard look at you know everything we've done to this point and and you know what we think the best path forward is going to be and i think having somebody like that to be able to contribute and do something simple is just ask questions um you know i think that's a very valuable part of that process something there that i kind of touched on in the beginning you did too is you know asking questions see a place that does things differently like minnesota but has a lot of the same things like like LA, like you mentioned, Dave. And I think under center, play action, all that stuff that was such a big part of what they were doing in LA, what Minnesota did, you know, how can you comfortably sprinkle that into a Joe Burrow offense? We talked a lot about that at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. The things that Browning was doing, and that was that was what they were going to do. They wanted to do that. This seems like potentially 
uh, uh, even deeper lean into some of that stuff to give them a little a, a little more action um, in their offensive structure. Yeah, no doubt. And I think because we saw it with Browning and we saw that doing some different things work, we've talked about that too, that it, we would hope that Joe Burrow even looks at that and says, no, it, it, it works. So let's give it a shot. We know what he's comfortable with, but maybe this extra voice in there and this new perspective even helps with that even more. Um, one, one question that strikes me, and this is, I don't know, maybe I'm more like a Twitter commenter here. It is given his offensive line background, does Frank Pollock have anything to worry about in the big picture? Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think so. I, yeah. It doesn't feel to me like a seed there. Um, yeah. I think inevitably it gives you versatility. It get you know, it's somebody on staff if something happens. I mean, it, or if Frank Pollock moves on, you never know. I mean, yeah. ine- inevitably. I mean, I'm sure Frank wasn't thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's kind of what I'm thinking. Is right? You yeah, you can't I mean, love a guy with offensive line background coming in being no lauded as this new great dude. And no, no, probably not. But I also don't think that that's the specialty that they plan on leaning into with him. I think they still right. view the way that he views passing offense. You know, and so much anymore passing game offense is understanding the protections and the and that stuff has to blend together. I just think it's another level. And look, we talked about this. I mean, if the Bengals have a great season next year and they're a top five offense and they go to the Super Bowl or back to the AFC championship game, Dan Pitcher is going to have plenty of head coach interviews and could be gone. And so somebody who could have a year in the system – and familiarity with everyone and has that kind of tracked potential of man if he's a mesh his background to this point and the way he fit with them and the way that when they interviewed him the way he blew them away and kind of talking the way they talk and seeing the game the way they see Mm -hmm. it could maybe be a guy who could step into that role um he's 40 years old i mean that that plays there in that spot, not necessarily a side move over to offensive line. I think that, you know, it's more of a potentially if things go well here, he could be the offensive coordinator of the future. And that's probably a part of that too. I, I go back to where I closed that story with, and that was Zach kind of telling a story about him and his wife talking about it. You know, it's circumstance in the league. What's, what's a great yeah. coach versus not a great coach. Like his background's weird and funky, but it's because of circumstance. He didn't get in a position like, you know, I end up under McVay and we do great. And all of a sudden I'm sitting there and I have a chance to sell myself and the Bengals go in early on him because they believed what he was selling. He's like, he heard the same, he heard himself in this guy a little bit and sees somebody who never had the chance to really sell himself properly and and his background and success he's had in those spots and the way the people that have worked around him talk um kind of connect all that together and I, and I think that's part of why you you believe in taking a chance on on somebody like that in in this position. Yeah. So I I thought it was cool that Taylor reflected that way too that yeah. you know, he he sees the bigger picture how the league works and how you you kind of catch lightning in a bottle at times and it sounds like that's what he's hoping to get with with Scotty. So many great coaches get lost on bad teams and flush yeah. out 
and and you hope if you're a great coach and it, but it's any career we can all say that like you know just for what it's the dumb things that help you move up you know or you feel like you did you do great work somewhere in your job and nobody really notices and then you do something that's kind of was okay somewhere and all of a sudden it just for some reason it catches the right eye and it opens you up to an opportunity Wait, or whatever are you talking about me right now I'm saying I don't know how you're here, Dave. <laughs> I have to agree. I, <laughs> I think uh, I caught an eye at some point and it worked out. So I, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was because you ended up working with me. Uh, and then everyone's like, oh, look at you. You're working with Paul now. You think no, you're special. No, it's no. my it's my Fountain Square broomball career with C. Trent yeah. Rosecrans. That's, That's what's it. got me here right now. That was, that was your big break. You do great yeah. work forever. And next thing you yeah. know, one broomball game and here you are on this illustrious yeah. podcast who knew this could be your path to the i, I think it goes back <laughs> to my nickname in that i was the estonian nightmare of, yeah and that nickname made me a, a favorite of fans that wandered up and watched games and trent saw that and helped me get in here it yeah. makes sense now it, okay it, it, it makes it makes absolute perfect sense um <laughs> it's <laughs> <laughs> the Estonian nightmare. That should be maybe we should go with that for your nickname here. We should lean into the Estonian nightmare. But I don't think you're a nightmare. I think you're I think you're a dream, Dave. Maybe that's what makes it such a great nickname. Yeah. Is that you're not at all. It's like right. when you call someone who's big, slim, or who's someone yeah. who's yeah, tall, tiny. Yeah. Yeah. You can use those for me too. That's true. Yeah. Uh I was going to make a bald joke, but I'm just making fun of myself. I've heard them all at this point. I don't want to be a baldist. Uh, for the draft people who are, I know we're all into that. I, I've told you my stance on it. I, I'm trying to not go full draft until we get through free agency because it's such a big free agency period for the Bengals. That said, Dane has his top 100 out now. And the format is awesome. I do, I do love the setup now of all the names you can sort them by positions you can support sort them by years each one just has the line and you can drop down to read the read his kind of quick synopsis of them but it's a good quick view of you know really the meat and potatoes of this draft and some of the players and and where he views them sitting right now dane does such a great job we'll of course talk to him more as we get into draft season but i hope everybody is taking uh, a look at that right now. So get out there and 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 poke around in it. I mean, again, more of the same when we start talking uh, about how this draft looks from a Bengals perspective. Um, his top 100 right there in the middle. J.C. Latham, tackle, 335 pounds, 6'6", Alabama, 13. There's Huaga from Oregon State, 6'5", 332 at 16. Amarius Mims, who we've seen mocked to the Bengals before, massive 6'7", 330 at 17. Tyler Guyton, Oklahoma, 6'7", 328. Tackle, Oklahoma. Maybe they just have only Oklahoma tackles on this team if they go <laughs> Orlando Brown, Guyton, Cody Ford, right? Yeah. And just figure that's just what it has to be. Um, you, you've got Troy Fotanu from Washington, at 19 there they all are you know there there they all are and and you really do wonder how much that's something the Bengals bank on as we go forward with what we kind of said could be a two-pronged strategy one where you you get that mid-level tackle who can start for you right away while maybe the other guy starts maybe the other guy doesn't you're not screwed if you don't get one in the first round 
you know, Illuminor obviously has been mentioned a bunch as he continues to petition on Twitter to be a Bengal and defend Joe Burrow's honor. Uh, I think it's obvious. It's He's not subtle. And so, and so maybe that's the direction it goes. Maybe there's somebody else, but I think that mid-level offensive tackle that if you had to play a year with him certainly could be more than serviceable, but you supplement with potentially a first round pick, potentially not. Uh, it's that certainly seems to be playing in the direction of where you could see them going at this point. What's the, I, I'm going to just plead ignorance on the name, but I saw buzz about the dude. I think he's a guard that the Steelers released yesterday. The core four. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I have a, if you haven't been an answer for that group, yeah, I, I have hesitancy to put in with any kind of confidence. Um, but I, you know, again, could be somebody viewed as a uh, as a mid level depth, maybe yeah. be a starter if you need to. Obviously, has started, so you're not talking about somebody. I mean, who is a total chump. Um, I, I certainly haven't done a deep dive, dive into his play in Pittsburgh other than, you know, he's made a lot of money. They paid him. They paid the yeah. guy. But it seemed weird. He could, were... could stop it, step in there at right tackle and go go take out some anger on his former team. <laughs> you know? just seemed weird they didn't try to trade him, although maybe they did try to trade him. We don't know. But it, I just saw, you know, you saw like Kaboli and people like that kind of scratching their heads about why it was just a straight up cut. But it also looked like they were just doing a little house cleaning, dumping their punter and Mitch Trubisky. And yeah, yeah. I mean, if so. you know the direction that it's going to go, um, what are you waiting for? Yeah, I think they're just like these are decisions that we know we're going to make. We're not going to make these players sit around and wonder where there's nothing yeah. left to nothing to hide here. Well, it's a favor to the players too if you give them some time and not push it all the way up to you know where they're not in free agency yeah. very long. Yeah, I mean, if if you're a believer in PFF stats and grades, I mean, he's he's obviously played a ton. He's over a thousand snaps three years in a row before last year, and he's been a mid, very mid. You know, he's a guy who's yeah. played. He's mid level guy. He's twenty six. So you know you can. I feel like maybe you know you, you want to do better, but you can probably play him. Maybe he fits in the Illuminor mold, but you're probably – at least Illuminor has a, a few more highs, certainly a lot more highs yeah. in consistency. Uh, but again, yeah, I think you could throw him in the mix, but again, you're not uh, – that can't be the plan. Right. How about right. that? You know, but if, if it's a two-pronged plan, then then you get – then I think you get behind it enough. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. But on that note, we can turn over to our good friend and yours from ESPN 1530. Mo Egger, what's up? How we doing? Doing good. Uh, you know, I've we were we were talking a little bit about this and that, but we haven't really gone into the Super Bowl yet. And mm. it happened. It did. Did you watch it? Uh, yeah, Take I had it, it on. Yeah. I had it on in, in the, the background. background. Yeah, uh, I get it. 
I want to, I want to kind of, you know, I have this, we've talked enough about T Higgins uh, and I have four. Part oh, speak series. for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you can use the four part series as a launching point to continue to, to, to go into this. Um, but you know, the, these, these decisions are upon us and, and watching Kansas city do what they did with the quarterback, with the guy mm-hmm. and make the weapons, find a way to make the weapons work and reallocate. I, my point in, in something that's in tomorrow, I think it's in tomorrow's part is that look, Bengals fans might not want to admit this, but that's the blueprint. Yeah, You've got the quarterback. You, as far as roster building goes, um, it, you find a way to just supplement the, the quarterback with as many pieces as you can, but it's okay if it's not always weapons. And let, I mean, and you can figure out what that is, but I do think that there is something. Do you think that Kansas City put the blueprint on full display for these teams, Bengals specifically in this case, that have the great quarterback or think they have the great quarterback and how to treat the rest of the roster when they're paying that guy? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I I went on a, a little bit of a tangent last week and I said, I know as a Bengals fan, I'm supposed to hate the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think hatred is rooted in jealousy. And I'm not jealous of the Chiefs because I think the Bengals have their version of Patrick Mahomes. And as long as they do, they're going to be in the hunt. And as long as you're in the hunt, if he's healthy every year, you're going to win one. Now, you know, they have three in five years and Mahomes has three and that's a modern day measuring stick. But I I look at them with a degree of admiration because it's really hard to have sustained success. And also they've done it in different ways, right? They've done it in spite of their defense. They've done it in because of their defense, right? They've so, but but I think the Bengals can do that. And over the course of the next five years, regardless of how much success they have, the reality is the roster from one year to the fifth year is going to look a lot different. And in one year, maybe it's weighted towards the offensive side of the ball. And then in another year, maybe it's weighted toward defense. The common denominator is the guy. The common denominator for the Chiefs is the guy, right? Their offense this year was very uneven. The offense a couple of years ago was the greatest thing I've ever seen. Uh, But defensively, a couple of years ago, they were miserable. This year, they were really, really good. Chris Jones, I thought, was the best player on the field. But the common denominator is the guy. Bengals have one of those guys. Yeah. And to me, part of their strategy that they've always had, even when they didn't have the guy, um, plays well into having the guy. And that's that you're right. You you need to be able to win in different different ways. The bottom line is, are you getting the most value out of every dollar on right. your roster? And they've done a they've always done a really good job of that. I think of under of never never freaking out and overpaying or feel, or or going over the value that they place on any player, no matter the position, and and investing in places they feel like they have the best chance of getting the most value. And if you're doing that, you open yourself up for to win in different ways and let Burrow be the guy. I think that that could be one year. It could be twenty point seven million dollars for T Higgins, or it mm-hmm. could be investing in a young defense some year it, it depends on their view of it what the value is and i think that that is certainly okay randy mueller who works for us a former gm does the podcast with with sando 
said, you know, the Chiefs are now the poster child for not paying a wide receiver and, and wondering what that's going to do as teams view free agency with you know Higgins, who's not going to make it to free agency. But Pittman right. is going to be a big piece in to see where the wide receiver market goes. We've seen it hockey stick the last <laughs> couple of years. Is it going to plateau? Yeah. Will it plateau now with all these guys when we're talking about Pittman and Devonta Smith next year and and Ayuk and Jefferson and and what like all of these guys that are going to get paid potentially all of them before Jamar and T maybe being a part of it is that going to plateau watching the Chiefs will the league copycat it that way or will it continue to go up I think that's a really interesting point to see what that's going to look like. And that can go a long way to affecting the Bengals life with T Higgins and Jamar chase. Yeah. And, and how many of those wide receivers will end up at places that have quarterbacks who are making, you know, the, the, the Mahomes burrow coin, right? Yeah. How many teams are going to pay both? How many teams are going to go, okay, well, we're going to go ahead and pay a wide receiver, but we've got a B minus guy, a quarterback. And how many teams are going to go, you know what? We got a Mahomes, we got a burrow. We, we got one of those dudes. And so, we're just we're just going to have a, a nonstop churn of of wide receivers. I think relative to how many guys are are going to hit the market, I think that's I think that's going to be interesting. But you know, I mean, it's it's hard to talk about the the Chiefs' success over the last couple of years and not discuss what they did with Tyreek Hill, who's mm-hmm. still a marvelous player, right? He's still awesome. Heck, there were some talking about how he might be the MVP of the league at certain stages during the season. He's he's a remarkable player. They've won two titles without him. Is that instructive? Well, you can't help but not think about it and and talk about it. They won with him, they won without him. Yeah. And, and you know, I always when we were doing the whole conversation 10 years ago about Andy Dalton, what the Bengals might pay him, my thing was like all right, if you're extending him, and this is kind of before we saw the exact structure of the extension that he got, but it's like, if you're in favor of paying him, understand that's going to be your constant. That's going to be your guy. So you got to be comfortable with all the change happening around him. Some years, maybe your roster is going to be, you know, front loaded uh, on the offense. And some, some years, maybe the offensive line is not going to be very good. And some years, maybe your defense is the worst in the league, but you're paying that quarterback to, to win games for you no matter what, right? Um, over the course of, of time, the team's going to look different. The roster is going to be different. It's going to have different strengths and weaknesses from, from year to year. The chiefs have done that. And that's hard for me to not admire that. So can now, as we talk about what the, the the second half of the decade is going to look like with Joe Burrow, can they figure out ways to emulate that? Because there's, there's going to be a time where a, a treasured beloved player leaves and you got to fill his role, or there's going to be a time where you go, we're going to pay this, which means we're not going to pay this. Guess what, Joe, figure it out. I mean, that's, that's why you're paying him. Yeah. Um, now it's worth mentioning the chiefs were quite good before Patrick Mahomes became the guy. And you can't necessarily say that about the Bengals, but, uh, what they've done over the last five years, you know, you and I were talking a month and a half ago about how different the roster is going to look in 24 relative to 2021. Look at that. 2018 2019 Kansas City group versus now it's night and day yes night you, and day at a certain point you have to turn over and the Bengals Andrew we talked about this last week and it's something that has been the case in Cincinnati since he was here the Bengals success 
has often, and and any team's success really for the most part, is going to be defined by your draft classes. It's going to be defined by runs of good drafting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can't have classes that miss when you're paying the quarterback. Like, that's just the way it is. And so you need last year's class to take another step. Guys that had a foundation that you felt, okay, maybe something good could happen. DJ Turner, you need your defense that you have, these last two draft classes that you have invested all of these top picks in need to now rise up to become a fearsome group like the Chiefs did. If they don't, you won't end up where the Chiefs are. Mm -hmm. And that's how it works when you're in this situation. It, it's That's what the league is. It's where you find most favorite thing. That's surplus roster value. That's where you got to, <laughs> that's where you find it. And I don't know going for, I don't know how when you talk about value and you talk about the receiver position. And you look at the structure of what the draft is now with so many talented receivers um, and so many receivers coming in, making an instant impact. So many receivers from late in day two or beyond making mm -hmm. an instant impact, how you are not taking a shot every year or every other year, at least on a day two receiver or a, or a fourth two second, third, fourth round receiver and constantly pushing in and see if you can hit because, because of the value that you get in that when you do. And so many of them do, I, I, to me, it's a strategy. It's like people that have floated out to like, man, you should just be taking quarterbacks every year in round two and, see, <laughs> and just always have that guy that you never know. Maybe he looks good in the preseason. You could trade him or he's a great backup and you just can't keep investing in that position. I think it's kind of the same thing, except there's so much more evidence of you hitting there. And if you don't, it's good depth and it's a, and it's not a big deal. It's not a first round pick necessarily. That would be a strategy that I would lean heavily into if I were the Bengals, especially when they have a history of doing nothing but turning second round receivers into stars here. I mean, it's, it's yeah. kind of been who they are at that position uh, or, you know, historically. It's remarkable. You know, we said for years, you, you can't have enough offensive linemen. Yeah, and then mm. you can't have enough cover corners. Well, yeah, you, you can't have enough edge rushers. Now we're doing that with wide receiver, but it's true. It's, it's it's true. Uh, I I'm I completely am on board with that strategy where, where you're just it's it's a nonstop pipeline of guys at that position that you have to just understanding where look, we, we did this a year ago, right? They, they took two wide receivers. We instantly said those guys are the heir apparents to T Higgins and Tyler Boyd. And especially with Andre Yoshibosh, there, there are there are there are little there are glimpses that make you go. Yeah. Now, now can he be T Higgins specifically, you know, with the exact same production? Probably not. Can you, can you get back to the Super Bowl with him? You know what? My guess is yes. Now a lot yeah. of other stuff has to go well. So I, I am, I am on board with tagging and keeping T right. Yes. I, I am. Yeah. But, I will go back to last April when we all said, well, they're they're preparing for life without those guys. You you can't then ignore that. Yeah. You, you certainly can't ignore what you saw um from both those players, but I think specifically Andre Yoshivash. I mean, you know, can 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 I imagine him in this offense having a a a an extraordinarily productive complementary role? How's the answer? No. Yeah. Based on the quarterback, based on the other dudes they have, and based on what you saw. So would it be that far-fetched to suggest this team could be okay without T Higgins, maybe drafting a wide receiver day two, day three, elevating Andre Yoshivash, 
perhaps finding if, if one exists a, a bargain free agent wide receiver and, and having a chance to win the title next year, like you, you can do that. You can absolutely build for now, keeping T for, for one year. And you know, they, they do this at big time positions, big time players. They want to be a year ahead in, and that's why you can always see their plan because they always try to be a year ahead of it. Going back to when it blew up in their face, most notably, which was, you know, the Whitworth, Andre Smith, Obwehi, Jake Fisher situation a year early. It's almost always a year early when they're really plotting. You know that what their plan is to move on. Dax Hill, Jesse Bates. Mm -hmm. We've seen them do it a lot. This would be the draft for that. This would Mm -hmm. be the draft where, one, you have to figure out what you're doing at slot. I think they thought they did it a year early with Charlie Jones and Yoshimash last year, and now there's a lot of wondering whether they did or not. And now you're doing the same thing with Higgins, where this would be the draft, where on day two you take a guy, maybe he's not a pure slot. Maybe he's like an inside, outside, versatile guy, which there's tons of those, and that's great. That fits your offense anyway. That could be Higgins, could be Boyd, could be whatever. And you have another year then of if that guy develops, if Jones develops, if Yoshivash develops, and you still have T Higgins and your guys for one more real shot. You're built for the future and for now. You can take care of that position uh, and and feel like you're sustaining it. Now, here's the one thing that I'll do that I don't want to do. I'll go back a year and say, well, what they could have done is drafted their version of Travis Kelsey in this exceptionally deep tight end group. Now it's not fair to any of those players to compare them to Travis Kelsey, but you know, you talk about common denominators, it's cheat code tight end and Travis Kelsey's lost a step. I mean, I, you know, I wouldn't say that to his face, I guess, but I mean, he's, is, is he the same player he was two, three years ago? No. And that's okay. Still, you know, he had one catch for one yard in the first half. And then suddenly when they had to have it, there's Travis Kelsey, right? There he is. So, you know, all right. What, what page do you want to borrow from the Chiefs? Well, there's one they could have borrowed last year in the draft with the greatest tight end class of all time and didn't. I'm sorry. Like, you know, I, I know this yeah. is more about looking ahead than looking back. But if, if you want to go, OK, well, wait a minute. How have they survived? How have they thrived uh, despite moving on from a, you know, a bona fide A-list or wide receiver? Well, they, they always had the security blanket and the red zone threat and the guy that you knew, you know what? If it's third and six, we're throwing to this guy, even if everybody in the park we knows we're throwing to this guy. And it it just it it keeps us from having to contract what we do offensively because of how we could use our tight end. Well, yep. the Bengals could have had a guy like that. And, and again, not specifically like Travis Kelsey. That's not fair. But as as we've talked about the Chiefs and what we can sort of pull from them and apply to the Bengals, they had an opportunity and maybe it ends up working out uh, yes. in terms of the position and the t- and the players they took. Miles Murphy showed some real glimpses at the end of last season. But I watched Sam Laporta have a terrific rookie season and often thought, what would that guy look like in this offense? Not just this year, but moving forward when the personnel does start to change. The way teams use the tight end now where, yeah, he needs to be able to kind of get in the way as a blocker really right. Blends them into this conversation of the of making sure you're constantly refreshing the receiver room with youth and not always paying because look let's look around let's just look around the the playoffs and the best offenses that were there at the end I mean Zay Flowers look what he did to Baltimore invigorated okay Laporta in Detroit I mean was their second leading receiver behind Amon Ross St Brown who's also on a rookie contract (laughs) and the Packers. Yeah. All they were were young receivers for their top five 
in receptions this year were four rookies and a 2021 fourth round pick. That was their unbelievable offense at the end of the season with a young quarterback. And then the Chiefs. Once Rasheed Rice elevated, there they were, right? There they were figuring some things out. It took a lot of growing pains and they worked their way through it. But every, almost every team that is around at the end there and and is seeing their offense take off did that mm-hmm. it found they and and you know what if you're the Bengals how do you not confidently enter that strategy saying if there's one thing that we have done around here it is be pretty damn good at drafting receivers <laughs> and yes. developing receivers at every level of the draft over the last 15 years I mean they have been as good at it as probably anybody, when you look at the people that they've had here, the decisions they've had to make, the people that they've chosen, whether it's Higgins in that whole group and him over Pittman and some of the others that were there in the second round available, whether it's Chase and Sewell and saying that he was worth it, whether it was Marvin Jones and Muhammad Sanu, hell, maybe it's, and whether it was pinpointing Andre Yoshivash in the sixth <laughs> round last year, like that was clearly better than that. You don't hit them all, but I think you know, and going back to Hushmanzada and and Chad and all these guys, like lean into that and, and, sure. and don't be afraid to go that way. And, and rather than use your money that you spend where you can get more certainty on something that you're pretty good at drafting. Maybe so. prior to Higgins and Chase, the most popular wide receiver duo ever, Chad and TJ peaked in the mid 2000s. And in 2005, they drafted two wide receivers. Mm-hmm. God rest his soul, Chris Henry and Tab Perry. So being stocked at that position, the, the structure of the league in terms of the, the CBA was a lot different than obviously, but they didn't look at their position group. And unfortunately for a variety of reasons with, with both players, it, it didn't completely work out. We all know, I think how much immense talent Chris Henry had, but being stocked at that position, did not preclude them from using that draft, not in the first round, but using that draft to address the position. Yeah, there's no doubt. So, you know, again, with Jamar and T in tow this past offseason, they took two wide receivers. Like, why? That that shouldn't that shouldn't stop. No, that, that shouldn't cease. No, not at all. Um, one uh, one last thing uh, I I want to bring up to you. Um, it was pointed out to us on Twitter that a version of the shovel pass was was run in one of the biggest mm-hmm. moments mm-hmm. of of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, did you did you cringe? Were you okay with it? It was because it wasn't. It certainly wasn't the same version of the shovel pass. Correct. Um, also, it so, didn't look like the first option. What what did you what did you cringe more seeing? the shovel pass to McCaffrey or the exact same play from Jacksonville that Tyler Boyd <laughs> threw the worst interception ever worked for a touchdown in the Super Bowl. Which two gave you nasty flashbacks more, more PTSD on that? So the shovel pass, because I hate the shovel pass. Yeah. I had a wager of more than two people throw a pass, more mm-hmm. than two people throw touchdown passes. So when I saw the the play develop with Jennings throwing the pass. I was elated because yes. cha-ching the shovel pass. I, I just, we, we have years of evidence to suggest <laughs> this. This is 
Do you want me to draw it up again? No, and don't draw is, it up. Don't. I assume again, the paper. The, I assume the paper is hanging in that like wall of fame area the, over there the, somewhere. Sure. The the shovel pass. We take a player and we run him into traffic, and then as he's surrounded by dudes, we throw him the ball. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense in every other passing play. What do you you want? Someone who's open. Someone who's run away from their defender. The shovel pass. We have people run into the defense, and then hey, here's the ball. It may work occasionally. It It is a recipe for a disaster. Yes. And so I just, I kind of shook my head. Like Kyle Shanahan, this genius who apparently can't tell his players how overtime rules work. This offensive genius is resorting to, in the biggest game of his life, a version of the shovel pass? Yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah, I know. That's all you got? It, so, there's a there's a lot of outthinking yourself that, that was happening out there. Yes. I, I, w- I would say. Um, and, and that was probably one of them, you know, also, I will say this, it was at least to his best player. Now with the Bengals, when it's Stanley Morgan, you know, I mean, at the, it wasn't like, Hey, here's the, the sixth, there's the gunner on the punt return team. We're going to bring him into the game and try it. It was at least Christian McCaffrey, like, okay, mm-hmm. where, what, what drives me nuts, even beyond just the simple, execution of a play that's destined to fail is when we're going to get we're going to get really creative and use this guy that we never used to like throw a pass downfield with it is remarkable though when you watch the McCaffrey play how uh the the screen that one that we saw the Bengals do how close it was to disaster as well like it was not far from having a very Jacksonville, and I can't believe I just saw that. If uh, whoever it was, 64, doesn't clip the dude coming around yeah. the edge, he's probably just running and catching it and going the other way, much like we saw. It is a, you talk about risky, uh, it is a risky play, which Bengals fans know all too well. And I just think it was, did it did it make Bengals fans maybe say, okay, I take back some of the screams, I things I screamed and no, yelled no, and because, threw the television that day. No, because when the Bengals tried it, the quarterback was cooking. Jake Browning was playing great. When the 49ers tried it, nothing was really working offensively in that game. So, all right, screw it. Let's try this. With the Bengals, it wasn't that they did it, for me at least. It wasn't that they did it. It's that when they did it, first of all, they were backed up in their own end. Secondly, their quarterback was playing fine. There was no need to get razzle-dazzle. The 49ers were like, all right, nothing else is working. We can either do shovel pass or we can have a wide receiver throw the ball across the field. Uh, now the ball hung in the air forever. You could play a hand of blackjack in the time it took for that ball to, to, to get to where it was going, but all right, nothing's working. Let's try it is different than, Hey, you know, we're, we're cooking right now. We have a rhythm. Our guys feeling it. We've got a good game plan. Let's have a wide receiver, throw a pass deep in our own end. That, that no, they're not, it's not apples to apples as far as I'm concerned. Okay. So I think it's clear. I think it's clear how you felt on the answer to that question of the shovel pass, <laughs> shovel pass too far. Although you're still very much had some had some some lingering issues still with that play as we brought it back up. We won't we won't bring it up again. Mo, I appreciate your time. Uh, I will be back in joining you for more, uh, maybe more, maybe more Super Bowl talk, maybe more T Higgins talk. We can talk about uh, actually this afternoon. I do think we'll we should talk mm-hmm. about that. The Bengals hiring Justin Riscotti. Mm-hmm. is exactly something you and I talked about yes uh, about a month ago you and uh you proves st- that they were listening you stole the second segment there it is teaser now, the second segment right yes. now 320 for, for this afternoon yep. uh on ESPN 1530 come listen then all right thanks mo thank you gentlemen 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, there's Mo Egger, ESPN fifteen thirty, and I didn't, I didn't even bring up the alien commercial that people were tweeting to us about as well, <laughs> well Dave. We've got an off season to discuss aliens. There, there be weeks that that's all we're gonna. Yeah, have. we'll need that. We don't need it yeah. right after the Super Bowl. We'll get, we'll right. get to that. Um, what were your Super Bowl thoughts, Dave? Uh. I, I want to be careful how I say this because I don't want to sound like I'm bashing Patrick Mahomes, but to me, that was, it was the defense that won that game Yes, and Patrick Mahomes did enough to win the game. And that's great. Like he, he came through when he needed to come through, but we can't not have the narratives of the goat stuff and all that. And we have to be a prisoner of the moment and everything. And I just I think that defense gets a little bit lost in all the hype around that team and the dynasty and everything. It, it is what Steve Spagnuolo has done there is remarkable. What those cornerbacks they have do is remarkable. And uh, what I thought was a pretty boring first half turned into a pretty good game in the second half. You know, it, it, the Chiefs scored three points in the first half, and yeah. and they look befuddled. I mean, they they San Francisco was getting after them. It was very. It was reminding you of those games, like the second halves against the Bengals and the mm-hmm. AFC Championships, um, the the Super Bowl against the Bucks. Like it felt that way. He was running for his life, making bad decisions when he throws the interception straight out of halftime. Yeah, it, it it felt like man, he is very human today. San Francisco has his number, and and I felt like the Niners in that first, you know, thirty five minutes of the game that was where they, in every way imaginable, blew it. They had Kansas City rocked back on the ropes, chance to play the most 49ers game of all time. They get a lead, and they just pummel you in this submission. They finish games better than anybody. They could have run the done all the things, run the ball, play action, all the things that they do so well. And 
who fought, who killed them early? McCaffrey fumbles and mm-hmm. Trent Williams has back-to-back penalties that kill yeah. another drive where they were moving and moving the ball. They were moving the ball on that Kansas city defense early, a chance to get up, take a lead. Mahomes is rattled, be up by more than 10 or whatever. And, and instead they just let them hang around. They just yeah. let them hang around the whole time. And you just, to me, and then you, you, you allow in the Mahomes magic, he deserves what happened. Like what he did those last four drives is great, but like, yeah, it net there never should have been time for magic. That game should have been just put out of reach. Forget we start talking about some of the mistakes that were made at the end, or the fact that a punt goes off the foot of a blocker, um, mm-hmm. and you have two third downs that base it on and, and manageables that would have essentially the first one, certainly in regulation, that would have won you the game, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you you had the game in your hands, one play away, one dumb bounce, one first half where all you got to do is just your best players don't make a couple of huge mistakes. Purdy wasn't costing them. And and, and I don't know if maybe I was viewing it more from a San Francisco point of view, because I was one of the 10 out of 50 <laughs> of our staff that picked the Niners. And I'm looking to kind of stick it to everyone on our staff because I kind of went against the Mahomes magic. And I guess I look stupid, but I didn't feel stupid. I felt validated watching that game. I felt yeah. like that game went the way I thought it would. And somehow San Francisco in with McCaffrey and Trent Williams and a punt off a foot end up finding a way to lose it. And Mahomes, you put Mahomes in that situation, he's going to go win it. Okay. Yeah. Like that's true. You just, they had so many chances for that to not be the situation that he would be in. And I thought yeah. they kind of lost it and credit Kansas city. Cause they don't do that. They don't, yeah, they don't find yeah. ways to lose games, and that's them. But I thought they would be a better team, and I, I didn't think that San Francisco would choke it away that way. Yeah, and I, I agree with you on Kansas City, too. I think if we were to look back at all those Patriots Super Bowls, they weren't always pretty. They weren't always uh, just domination. It was a lot of fortuitous things that happened, but then taking full advantage of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when they beat, the Rams 10 to three, it certainly wasn't because Brady was, you know, lighting up the scoreboard, but yeah, you can't, you, you have to put Kansas city away or they're going to beat you. Like it's just time. And again, it just happens. But I, I don't know. It, it I don't like either team as a fan. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I was hoping more for like an asteroid to hit Vegas or something, but uh it it really did feel a lot like San Francisco just didn't take the bull by the horns on. Yeah. I'll I'll drop this question. I was gonna take this to Mo, but I our conversation kind of was going in a better different direction. I feel like Casey and the Bengals rivalry because of this really solidifies itself as the strongest rivalry in the NFL again. Yeah. Because it, you just still only have one guy that has taken a chunk out of Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. There's still only one now and it's still just burrow. And, mm-hmm. and, and you can sense, I don't know if it's just a feel of you just, of kind of knowing the way they love to operate on disrespect and, and having a task yeah. <laughs> of like that they are just back building. I always, 
I always call this night uh, when I when I would be writing a story that I was spending a lot of time on and, and it would look like I haven't done anything for a while that I, I'm just I'm don't worry just I want to send like the back building gif of out of like and now that we have Twister's movie I'm so excited by the way <laughs> but I've always felt like I'm a Twister a back building Twister and I'm about to like throw cows around right yeah. I fe- you can like feel that inner back building inside of probably in Burrow and the Bengals right now. As they think about, look, this is the best rivalry. We're still the team. Burrow's still three and a one against Mahomes. That's still us to take them. And they don't feel like a chunk was taken out of them this year because Burrow went down. They weren't able to be themselves. But you can feel how that I would lean so deep into that if I was Zach Taylor or anyone on that staff. I would have pictures of the Chiefs celebrations up in the meeting rooms. Like with the in the targets around, like I, I'm all in. Lean into it, okay? This is and I, this is who I, you. This is take them down. You know, let that motivate you in in showing that. Hey, let's let's not dynasty the Chiefs. That they're just here to kill everything in their path. There's still one team that can do that. I would lean so far into that, and and you got to believe in his head, Burrow. I assume is well, and it seems like the Bengals are the one team that does stick in Kansas city's head. Like Mahomes made a Jamar chase comment uh, a couple weeks back yeah. and, and yep. Kelsey Anybody made his share. Yeah. It's they they're not, I don't, you don't hear them worrying about uh, the Jags or the chargers or anything else. I mean, even the teams in their division, they've yeah. kind of got that Aaron Rodgers, I'm your daddy kind of attitude towards the rest of the team in that division. And uh, you know, even though, Justin Herbert wins the hypothetical bowl every year of what could be. Uh, it seems like the, the Burrow and the Bengals are the one team. Especially if you look at fans on Twitter, that's the team that that eats the Chiefs fans up. They're, they're always kind of looking over their shoulder at the Bengals. And yeah, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's still a very strong rivalry. I mean, to me, like when we talk about, there was some talk about, okay, who's going to be the opening game for the Chiefs on that Thursday And people pointing out the Bengals are on that schedule. I think it's going to be the same as last year. I think CBS or NBC or whoever has the number one pick. Look at Bengals Chiefs again and say that's still the one. I, I know we just went through another year and the Bengals weren't the team and there's everyone's going to talk about other stuff. And and certainly big free agency is going to change a lot of things. I still think they're going to be the number one pick that when CBS looks at New Year's Eve at 4:30 again, or whatever they feel like their number one spot is, that's they're gonna put that chip down on them because yeah. it's I think it's still who can take out the Chiefs. Who do people who has a realistic argument? And there's just not anybody that really does but them. And for that fact, I, I don't see them on Thursday night. I think you'll see probably like Houston or somebody like that who, like Detroit was, is more up and coming yeah. because they're going to save the big heavy hitters for later in the year. I think they end up in that December, January yeah. spot once more as the premier NFL game. And because I still think it's the number one rival, I think it's the Ohio State-Michigan of the NFL right now. Um, and this was just a year where Ohio State or Michigan, whoever you think the Bengals are, uh, <laughs> was just you know without their guy, and yeah. and 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 so that's that's kind of my view as people talk about next year and 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 that game. Let's uh let's shift to some Arby's. Um, I so last week, um, uh, I went on my man Strawberry Ice's podcast. 
the Iceman, a favorite. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but he always has, so he always has Corey Dillon on with him, like regularly. Corey's is Corey is connected <laughs> with him as guy, and obviously, you know, Dave. Dave I wrote about Corey Dillon. I have been the leader of the Corey Dillon belongs in the hall of fame fan club here for a long, long time. And I talked to him last year and he very openly <laughs> discussed his feelings on all of it. Told me to print every word. I printed every word and he's kind of been on a goodwill tour since then. And I have a good feeling. I, I feel like people recognize that Corey should be the next person in the Bengals ring of honor. We'll see how that we'll get to that voting process later when we have less to talk about. But all Iceman says, hey, Corey wants to join you or is going to join you, even though he doesn't normally come on at this time. Because we were on at noon, so I, I, I had lunchtime open. I was like, hey, Corey's on the West Coast. That's early for him. And I'm thinking, is he going to come on and like, what are we going to have? Is it, is it going to be like he's got, is he going to want to say something? Because I, I haven't really talked to him since so everything went down much. I mean, a little bit, but not much. It was the most delightful conversation by the end of it. He said, <laughs> Paul, you need to be the president of my Hall of Fame committee. <laughs> and it was such a fun. If you want to go listen to it, I recommend going and listen to it. It was me and Strawberry Ice and Corey Dillon. And I, I feel bad for the Ice Man because eventually I was kind of took it over. Me and Corey were just talking it out, man, <laughs> and having a good time. And last, he said, you know, I got no more curse words left in me if I don't get in for something this year. He's like, I'm just kind of out of it. I can't, I can't be cursing anymore. I'm getting tired of it, you know? And so uh, it was it was a great conversation. And I thank strawberry ice for having me on and, and and matching up with Corey, i enjoyed it go ahead listen to it but shout out to Corey for still being the man and uh he should be getting people's ring of honor votes this year and it's still crazy as we you know the hall of fame come out came out uh last thursday and yeah. willie anderson didn't get in um devin hester did andre johnson did antonio gates did not in yeah. his first year there's just a lot. I'm not going to go on another rant here about it. There's just a lot. Like Fred Taylor didn't. Corey Dillon was somehow never in the conversation despite, I mean, a. I will continue to make the argument about how he actually has a far better case than Fred Taylor does. Yeah. But again, when you have the same voters and their agendas lining up their agendas, this is what you get. You get. Things like Andre Johnson and Devin Hester and Antonio Gates has to wait and Willie Anderson's still waiting. And that's what it is. Maybe it lines up better for Willie next year as he did get a step closer. He did move closer in that direction. Um, but there will be, you know, and, and maybe this is a sign that the agendas at hand will be to make not total slam dunk first ballot people wait to the second year while they try to sneak somebody, sneak a pet project in. Because it's so damn political. Yeah. It is. It's, uh, what do they it's, call it? I, what, what do they call it when, uh, pork barrel politics? Yeah. Is that what it is? Where they, people try yeah. to sneak in their pet projects under bigger things? Yeah. yeah it feels yeah, like just, that. just get, get a paper clip and attach it on the bill. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, I don't know. I, I find, I don't put much credence into the NF or the Pro Football Hall of Fame for that very reason. There's a lot of names in there I don't think I'd ever put in. And there's a lot that aren't in. And, you know, for the longest time, like receivers couldn't get in. You know, Chris Carter had the second greatest stats behind Jerry Rice and they wouldn't just put him in. Like, what are we doing? There's just guys that should be slam dunk no brainers. Um, I think, you know, we've we've relitigated Willie's case many times, but he's he. 
the fact that he was a right tackle in the era that you had to be a left tackle protecting the blind side of a right-handed quarterback, I think kills him. And that's just silly. Yeah. Um, I, you just look at the all pros, you look at the pro bowls, look at the people he blocked. Yeah. He didn't block chumps. He blocked. Yeah. Was it 13? I have Butch has the stat. It's like 13 of the 16 highest sackers of all time. And only one like garbage time, Bruce Smith sack or something. I mean, it's like, it's crazy the yeah. what he did but whatever what he even tried to bring us a fat burger here it didn't work out he but he should we briefly had a fat burger. um yeah. one other arby's i want to bring in here dave it was a conversation that we had before we started <laughs> that you informed me that you finished a puzzle at halftime yeah. of the super bowl which i think speaks to your feelings about the game and your yeah. thoughts on usher well, yeah, it's complicated with me and Usher. I, we, my wife and I, had a puzzle on the kitchen table that we were just picking at all week. And I went to get something to drink because I really wasn't that interested in halftime. The commercials were boring me up to that point. The game was boring, and we probably had about I don't know the last maybe eighth of the puzzle to be done. And I started started knocking it out, and I, I got mm. in a groove. Spent the entire halftime show and just the start of the second half finishing up the puzzle, which my wife was thoroughly impressed when she came down the next morning. She had gone to bed. She had given up on the game. But I have a history with Usher. We were in L.A. a few years back and got tickets to Jimmy Kimmel. Okay. We're, we're in like the second row. It was cool. Denzel Washington was a guest. Uh, Minnie Driver was a guest. Oh, wow. Usher, Usher was the musical guest. And what they wanted to do was start in the studio. He starts his song in there. And they're doing like this 360 camera around him. And at some point they're going to edit it and he's in the stage outside. So basically the audience watched the song inside and watched it outside. And then they were going to splice it together. Usher stops the song right in the middle and goes off to his people to complain that people weren't dancing enough in the studio. Oh, the, the comedian guy who warms up the crowd, a fellow bald. Yeah. He there. decides while they're like readjusting the set to point me out. What? The guy who's not dancing. What? Goes, I guarantee you that guy wasn't dancing. What? Pointing the whole crowd to me. Now I'm, you know, getting people just searing me with their eyes that I've ruined this and made us start over. And he asked me, when was the last time you danced? And I laughed and I said, my wedding, maybe. Well, <laughs> being the Estonian nightmare, being stubborn. They fired it up again. I didn't dance. I didn't dance. You, st you you stood your ground. I stood my ground. They went ahead and did it. We went outside at the reset up. Comedian guy points me out again. Out no. The There's my buddy who doesn't dance out there. I, I waved to the crowd. I'm now a celebrity at this point. My wife's like, everybody knows you now. And they finally finished it up. We get to see like three or four Usher songs. It was, it was fine. I feel like Usher was mad at me. Now, the the footnote to this is the next day we're at Disneyland and I get stopped on Main Street in Disneyland. The guy goes, you're the guy who wouldn't dance last night on Kimmel. <laughs> and my wife said, I told you you were a celebrity. Wow. So, like this whole deal was a big deal for me. because The I guy who dance. wouldn't dance. Yeah. And Usher, not a fan. Not a fan of you. So, so you, I, this was kind of your retribution. Be like, you know what? I know 123 yeah. million people watch this, but guess what? It wasn't 123 million <laughs> and exactly. one and right. my puzzle's done. Guess who wasn't dancing at home? Me, because I was working on a puzzle. <laughs> Which 
you did miss a good show. I will say, um, once the, it was a little slow, it was a little slow to get going, but look, yeah. once little John came out and they were roller skates <laughs> and Luda, like, let's go. And I bought, by the way, this is another side note on that. Uh, my wife and I have been a big fan of, I don't know if people know that there's a show, uh, a home improvement show featuring little John called mm. little John wants to do what is the name of the show. <laughs> and he, he's actually great on it. It's him and another person that they do kind of crazy. Yeah. They show up and do crazy stuff to your house, you know, big basement slides, bars, you name it, like turned one basement into like an airplane hangar type deal, like whatever. <laughs> and it's fun. It's a, it's a fun show to watch. And then it all of a sudden was gone off the air. Just like, mm. and like did they cancel the show? This show is not bad, okay? I hate that they, they canceled this show. It just disappeared. Well, guess what? It was, must have been when they knew he was going to be on Super Bowl halftime. They just took it off the air out of nowhere, and boom, it was back on Monday, playing nice. off Little John's appearance on the Super Bowl. <laughs> Show's Huge. back. Let's go. Little John wants to do what? <laughs> I I mean, and I should get, I should get, uh, they should be, you know, thanking me for the promotion I'm giving them because I'm turning yeah. everybody onto this show right now. Give it a shot. That's all I'm saying. Give it a shot. Okay. <laughs> if you are at all I mean, into home improvement and if you're the demographic of our show and you're old and bald, you probably yeah. are. It's got to be better show. than the stuffy realtors or Ugh, people that are so trying better. to be all quippy and everybody walks in and says, I'd like to take that wall out and open up some space. Every, that's mandatory. You have to say have that to open it up. Do. My favorite is one time there was uh, a client who said, I really want to close it off. I like being <laughs> and the mind blow that happened to the people yeah. who are just always opening it up. We're like, what do you mean? You, you want to build walls? <laughs> yeah, I just I like being in a I space like and cozy yeah. and have rooms like, wow, are you from the 50s? <laughs> Love Little it. John would be cool with adding walls. Little John adds walls. He's not afraid yeah. to add walls if he feels no. like he needs one. He wants to do what? Love I'm it. Totally going to watch that now. All right. Wouldn't dance. Look at you. All right. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for uh, listening to this uh, yet again informative episode of Hear That Podcast, <laughs> Growlin. Uh, we will be we'll be back next week. And uh, big things on the way. Big things on the way. That's all I'll say. Yeah. There's big, there's big things on the way, and those of you listening right now, you you need to know that big, 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 big things on the way. So keep an eye out. All right, thanks everybody for listening. We will uh, talk to you next time. Have a good one, everybody.